What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. On the line right now. In parts unknown, North Carolina, Connor Ryan, my favorite accent of any guest I've ever had on this podcast. Connor, good evening. How are you? Doing pretty well, Chase. How's it going? Well, I'm not in um, the Ozarks of North Carolina right now, so um, I'm guessing slightly better than you. Yeah, it's a little bit of adjustment from Boston, but uh, weather's a little bit better down here, so I'm trying to you know find the positives. So. Take it as it is, right? Have you found a Dunkin' Donuts yet? I have yet to find one, but I stopped by uh, Bojangles today. So, it's uh, how was that? Slowly turned with pretty good. You know, there's not a lot okay. of good uh, spots like that up in Boston. It's pretty much Dunkin' and uh, McDonald's and the usual fare. So, uh, it's too bad right now. No chicken, like no Chick Fil A's, no Zaxby's, no. No, there's um, only uh, there's uh, there's no Chick Fil A's in uh, Boston Plaza, and then you have to go like uh, thirty, forty minutes outside of the city to find one. I think there's only like one in like like a, a fifty mile radius. So of course, like everyone goes to it. So it's rough up there. You gotta do what you gotta do, but we're pretty limited. Damn. Well, you may be pretty limited in your chicken choices. The Boston Bruins are not limited in their depth at finding guys who can score goals in the playoffs. Did you like that? That was probably my favorite. That was, uh, that was, that was a great transition. I was, I was going to compliment <laughs> it anyway. Yeah. Um, I think that's been the biggest takeaway for me. Um, just going through certain stuff and watching these games and seeing what all has been going on here. It seems like that has been the difference between this Boston's Boston Bruins team of 2019 versus previous playoff iterations. Is, is that fair that this team just is more diverse, has more depth that can play four lines at any time and they don't have to rely on their first two lines. Like is, is that the, your biggest takeaway? Yeah, I would say so. Especially if you want to compare this run this year to what it was last year against Tampa Bay where they got bounced in five games. I mean, during that whole series, the Bergeron line kind of did what it does best. You know, it, you know, they average, I think, you know, two points a game combined. Um, but you look at the bottom six during that series, no player had 
even a point, which you're not going to win most series if you, you, your bottom six is not doing anything at all. And it's been, you know, far from the case this year. I mean, you look at this team, you know, they've had 22 different uh, skaters uh, play in a postseason game. 19 of them have scored a goal. Like, not even just, you know, had a, you know recorded a point, have scored a goal. I mean, everyone's kind of pulling their weight right now. You're seeing contributions up and down the lineup. I mean, for as much as uh, Don Sweeney, the GM of the Bruins, is kind of knocked for, you know, trading for Charlie Coyle and uh, Marcus Johansson, you know, at the deadline, people didn't really think it was going to be, you know, the move to put this team over the top. Both those guys have completely transformed the third line in the postseason now. Uh, you know, they've been on the ice for five, five-on-five goals in the postseason, which is the same scoring output that the Bergeron, Bergeron line had during five-on-five play, which is absurd. I mean, the fact that that line, that, that line is pulling as much weight as that top line is right now, and it just gives the opposition so many, you know, problems to handle in terms of matchups because, okay, you know, you, you know, going into a series like this, you know, the game plan is to shut down the Bergeron line. You have to account for David Krejci, who's a proven playoff performer. Um, and then, you know, what do you do after that? You still have, you know, Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson who are hitting play, you know, cycling around in the O-zone, you know, making plays. Dan Heinen, you know, is a good addition to that line in terms of, a, you know, a plus defensive forward so for as much as you know Coyle and Johansson have really upped their offensive production they're really not giving up that much uh, chances down the other end of the ice either so when you look at especially how this year has gone between uh, the Bruins and the Hurricanes you know if you look at what's going to put the Bruins over the top I think it's if that third line continues to play the way it's, it is right now I don't think Carolina has the personnel to you know match up and you know take away Bergeron, Krejci and Coyle I, I one of those lines is going to break out because you can't just, you know, roll out your top pairing defenseman or Jordan Stahl every single shift. You can't keep on double shifting those guys. You know, you have to rely on some of these bottom six guys like Greg McKegg, um, you know, Brock McGinn, all these guys um, to kind of shut them down. And so far that hasn't been the case, but Carolina has to do something because, you know, every game it seems like one of those lines is going off. Yeah, it's interesting the the dichotomy between the two teams. Like you said, they're, they're having to use Jordan Stahl a bunch. They're already down two zero, and it seems like they're um, just uh, they're having to just go about things completely different than the Bruins because they just don't have the depth and they don't have the uh, just versatility and scoring that Boston does. But Boston also, I mean, their defenders are scoring. Like you had Clifton and uh, the mayor of Boston, who's had a couple goals. He had right. two yesterday. Um, Grizzik, how do you how do you pronounce this dude's name? I always fuck this up. Is it <laughs> so? It's uh, what is it? It's gr- so it's Grizz like G R I Z Z and then Lick like L I C K Grizzlick. Grizzlick. See, it doesn't so, look like Grizzlick yeah. to me. Oh, it, um, it absolutely doesn't. Even even like Bruce Cassidy will still like mispronounce it every once in a while. Like he'll call him Grizzlich, and it's like he's been on the team for two years. But I don't think anyone wants to correct him. But but no. uh, Grizzlick has, has dealt with that issue many times over the years so i think he's used to it at this point so how does this working how are their defenders scoring so much i think they have like six of their 19 uh playoff goals or something like that right now um how uh how is this working so well um for the bruins defenders finding ways to score and just put even more pressure on opposing teams yeah well i think it's definitely an adjustment you've seen especially in this carolina because Chris Cassidy's kind of mentioned it a couple of times this postseason that when the Bruins are at their best, it's really not doing too many of those, you know, low to high plays, you know, you know, bringing the puck out to the blue line. You know, when they're at their best, even if it's, you know, a dynamic line like the Bergeron line, like 
that's not a line like, you know, Nathan McKinnon's line in Colorado where they do end-to-end rushes and kind of beat you in transition. They have the talent to do that, but that line's at its best when it's cycling the puck around, you know, retrieving pucks down low, uh, Bergeron operating in the high slot. That's, that's kind of how they're at their best. So they usually don't like to go with those, you know, pucks out, you know, low to high to open up space, even though they have a few solid playmakers, you know, a guy like Tory Krug. But I think you see more and more in this series, especially where I think Carolina is, you know, making a concerted effort to really kind of take away any space, you know, uh, on the half walls and down low. It's opening up lanes for, you know, a guy like Connor Clifton, who certainly doesn't look like a rookie in his first uh, trip to the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, he's a dynamic guy who activates off the blue line and, you know, gets down in the play. I mean, you saw, you know, in, in game two, his goal he scored. I mean, he gets a zone entry, brings it all the way down to the end board, kind of loops around. And meanwhile, Marcus Johansson, you know, has the puck, opens up space, and it's an, an easy, you know, open net for Clifton. I mean, that's just him being aggressive but being in the right spot as well to, to bury a shot like that. So it's kind of a mix of, you know, they're taking advantage of what Carolina's giving them, um, which Carolina seems to just doesn't really have the formula yet formula yet in order to stop the Bruins. Um, and then you add that with the fact that, you know, the Bruins defensemen, you know, they have the talent to, you know, jump up into the play when necessary. And other than uh, Tory Krug, who, you know, is, you know, kind of been knocked time for his defensive uh, play. I mean, you look at a guy like Chris Lake or even, you know, Charlie McAvoy, those guys, they, they're able to read the plays well. They can activate when they see an opportunity and usually they have the wheels to kind of get back in a play if you know something goes haywire or a puck gets picked off or anything like that. So it's really just adjusting to kind of what Carolina is giving them and they're capitalizing on, you know, the open ice available. If you were coaching the Hurricanes right now, what would you, what adjustments would you make back in Carolina? Is there anything that you can do in the middle of a series that could swing it back in their favor? Or is it just kind of like, I, I just, they're kind of DOA. Well, I think uh, it'd be, I'm, what I'm really looking forward to seeing is now that they're back on, you know, in their home ice and they have the you know, ability to do last change. I'm curious to see what Rob Brindamore does in terms of what line he's going to put on the uh, coil line, because so far it's been kind of a mix between the third, third and fourth lines. So, you know, I'd be curious to see if maybe they bring a guy like Jordan Stahl, who's, you know, big, you know, six four center who, you know, can knock a guy around. Maybe you put, you know, him on that line and see if maybe a, a physical, like, forechecking third or fourth line does a better job at limiting, you know, a line like the Krejci line. So I think that could be an option. Um, a big key for them, they just have to stay out of the box because Carolina has been the case all season long. You know, they're one of the best teams at five-on-five play. You know, they're aggressive. They've got a good forecheck. That's kind of when they're at the best. They have the bodies to kind of go toe-to-toe with a team, a physical team. Um, so, you know, that's what they got to do because when they go on the uh, – on the PK, I mean, they're, you know, one of the, the worst teams in the postseason in the PK. You go up against the Bruins team that I think right now they're cashing in on, I think, 33% of their chances. So when you're going up against a power play that, you know, is scoring a third of the time, you know, that's not going to do you any favors. So that's that's one thing to keep tabs on for Carolina. And then I think the the shoe that, you know, has yet to drop is uh, what Brendan is going to do in net because Peter Morazic has not looked good. Uh, since coming back, obviously he missed kind of the, the tail end of the Islanders too due to injury, but so far he has not looked good. So you, you know, it's curious to see if the Curtis McElhaney, who was pretty strong in that Islanders series, if he gets another shot in that, because I mean, the, the Bruins are taking advantage of, you know, Mrazic when he bites or when, you know, they get a pucking down low. Um, you know, Chris Wagner talked about that today that they kind of have the scouting report on him. 
kind of like a like a Sergey Bobrovsky in the way that you know he's an athletic guy. He's very good at you know going laterally, but he's still not Sergey Bobrovsky. Like you know the chances that the, the chances that Bobrovsky was able to stop, Mrazek's not going to get to all of those. So and the Bruins have taken advantage of it. So you know I wouldn't surprise me if they go with McIlhenny at least one of these two games at home because they they need some sort of you know some sort of adjustment to counter what the Bruins are doing. Some might say uh, Rod needs to uh, Brenda Moore in this series um, to to change uh, the the Hurricanes' fortune. Some might say that, uh, not me. Um, outside of this series, would you what what would you say has been the biggest postseason surprise for uh, this Bruins season? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, there's so many good players that have really kind of upped their game, especially uh, in the postseason. I, I would say it's either. Uh, I mean. I'm sure there's a lot of detractors who would say Tuka Rask, which, I mean, you have to give, you know, a stick cap to him and what he's done. I mean, he's been fantastic, and he hasn't shown any signs of slowing down yet. But I think the two guys that stand up for me are Johansson, um, who has really, you know, added an extra gear to that third line, and then Clifton, who, if I told you, you know, that Connor Clifton was going to be a, a linchpin on the Bruins' defense and a, a run to the Stanley Cup, then I I would think you'd be crazy. But look uh, at what Johansson did, I mean, He's a guy who only had only scored one goal in the regular season with the Bruins. Got knocked out with a uh, heavy hit from Michael Ferland on the Hurricanes uh, at the start of March. Had a lung contusion, knocked him out for pretty much three weeks. Which, if you're a team that's you know, if you're a player that's going to a new team at the end of the deadline, uh, trying to fit in, and you're only able to play ten regular season games. I mean, that's a tough call for any player, whether it's you know a star player or you know just a line grinder, anyone like that. It's tough to kind of get uh, build chemistry with that group if you're not playing, and that was kind of the case with Johansson. I mean, going into the playoffs, the line that he's on right now with Coyle and Denton Heinen, I believe they only played like nine minutes of five-on-five time on ice going into the postseason, and again, you know, it wouldn't be crazy to doubt what that line is going to be able to do, and so far, they're you know, proving everyone wrong. I mean, Johansson, I think, is now up to nine points in his last nine games, uh, and he, he's been he's been fantastic next to Coyle in terms of giving that line life. But um, you add in what Clifton brings, though, too. I mean, he's averaging over 18 minutes so far in this Carolina series. He's a guy who has kind of uh, taken up the mantle. Now that Kevin Miller's hurt of being a guy who's willing to you know throw his weight around, you know, he, he's kind of uh, built a little bit of a cult status in Boston. They like when the defensemen knock a few guys around and. Uh, he definitely answered the call in that regard, but for a guy who's known for being a physical guy and a guy who's you know, willing to be aggressive, he really kind of makes a mistake that you know puts him out of the play. Whether he you know squares up for a big, big hit and leads to an odd man rush, like you never really see him get caught in those kind of positions. So he's a smart player that kind of reads the plays well, makes the smart play when he has the puck on his stick, and you know that's enough to keep him in the lineup. And he's really really hit the ground running so far in those seasons. If you're Cassidy and this team, who would you rather play in the Stanley Cup final? Would you rather play St. Louis or would you rather play San Jose? The tough one. I would probably say the Bruins would ooh, they'd probably rather play the Blues just because I think that San Jose at least has the personnel to kind of go toe-to-toe with them in terms of special teams where the Bruins have had, that's kind of been the Bruins trump card in a few of these Series and what's been the case for most of the regular season, where um, you started in the Toronto series, where if you know if you're matched five and five uh, with an opponent, and you know 
both teams aren't really generating a lot of chances. The Bruins have, you know, relied on that power play to kind of build them out. San Jose, I mean, they've rolled a power play that you've got Eric Carlson and Brent Burns on the blue line, you know, talented guys up front. I mean, that's, those are two really, really talented power plays going at it. So I think from the Bruins perspective, you'd rather play the blues. You don't have, you know, quite as many weapons to kind of deal with. Um, in terms of what I think the NHL and what I think most people want, I think they all want the Bruins and Shacks. I mean, there's too many fantastic storylines to pass up there and plenty of stop power, East Coast, West Coast, Joe Thornton, you know, taking on the Bruins. I mean, uh, you know, the younger Connor, you know, pains, you know, it pains me to think that, you know, the Bruins might have to beat, you know, a four, you know, an, an elder Joe Thornton for a cup. But I mean, there's too many great storylines and that would be a fantastic final. I think the blues would be cool. I, I want blues Bruins. I think that would uh, be great. Um, if you're Gary Bettman, blues Carolina, that is, uh, that, uh, that's that not good. less than ideal. That They might bring the <laughs> Seattle team up a year early to kind of sweep that one into the rug. So that's a good transition because Seattle, uh, they're getting a name, colors, it's happening. It um, we're we're getting closer and closer. I hope they don't overthink this because if it's not green, yellow, and white, then they need to start over because that's how it should be. Like, don't make this too difficult. Don't do something crazy. Don't like who are, who have the worst uniforms in hockey? I guess the Panthers would still be my pick, but is, I'm not. Those are pretty bad. I just hate I really their logo. Think- I hate that they're still called the Florida Panthers. I hate that they're just the Panthers. I I, I would redo everything with the Florida Panthers. It, it all of it drives me nuts. And number two, yeah. Columbus Blue Jackets. Hate That's it. what I was going to say. I, I, Blue Jackets. Yeah. Do Columbus it's, it's fans like it because they have good attendance and the fans are great? But like, what even is it? Is it a star on top of a star? And it's just I don't. Yeah. No. I, I hate it's it. So- we're all meh, which like it's like when they unveiled the, the Golden Knights jerseys where I think like the first reaction people were like, all right, it's interesting and like they're a few detractors, but now like I'm all for it. Like I you know, they've done a great job kind of building that brand out there. So and it's you know, they're trying to interact with Seattle where every team kind of has that, you know, teal, blue, green, yellow kind of color scheme. Yes. Might as well add on to it. And I expect, you know, that team to kind of hit the ground running, you know, just to see what they end up naming it because I was reading somewhere that I think they're, you know, they're asking for fan input, which hopefully that means they're not just doing like a poll on the internet because you know what's going to happen if it's an internet poll, it's going to be like hockey make hockey face, like it, it, it's inevitable. So Seattle sixty we'll happens, but they, right, exactly. We have to these are the things you have to worry about when you put this in the internet hands. So we'll see. I mean, they've got a lot of uh, you know good good candidates in terms of names and. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see how that whole thing kind of pans out because it should be a market that should kind of, you know, take to them pretty quickly, especially if they put in the effort that, you know, the Vegas ownership group kind of did in terms of really building up the hype. Um, last time I was in Vegas, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing someone either wearing a, a Golden Knights hat or go to any bar. They had, you know, the game playing on all different flat screens. I mean, the, that city's really taken on hockey and it's pretty awesome to see. And I expect the same from a, a, a city like Seattle. Have you seen the uh, the Seattle totems? I like that one. There's one with a like, fish good. that I don't like. Yeah, but uh, the Seattle well, tsunami so I, sucks. I saw like this the kraken, which people I don't know what a kraken. Yes, I like the kraken. I, I, it's 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 nautical, which like I'm I'm all for it. You know, that mariners, you got know, the kraken. I, I mean, it works, I guess. But um, I feel like it's gonna be metropolitan. They're gonna do uh, the. 
the old thing and they're just going to bring back the metropolitans or th- I, that could, I could see that, that could also work yeah when in doubt they're like you know what like kraken's too bold like let's just go with the old the old style no one's going to complain about it too much you know it's 2019 everyone someone's going to complain about it but they got a lot of options yes. at least yeah don't do sasquatch because i saw that too seattle rain would be too no, no. just like oh what okay we get it, it that's, rains that's, in seattle. Too, that's far that's far too literally yeah yes um i don't know but it's gonna be interesting um, i'm glad we're gonna get away from 31 teams to 32 i hate that kind of prime number and just oh, yeah drives no, me nuts. yeah no you see it every time you just, like you know bites away at you it's, it's they have to even those things out well, there. That's gonna be great, but also like uh, getting rid of this playoff format. That that would also be great. Um, that would be so great. Thankfully, <laughs> Especially the Bruins for, uh, Tampa Bay Super- and Toronto, and, uh, or or, uh, or Toronto, which like they're pretty much perpetually going to be stuck facing a very good team in the first round going forward, and that's a team that's going to have quite a few questions answered this summer already. So, you know, the one positive thing might be you know if they're able to amend that postseason and that which. Based on how the numbers and ratings have been this year, the NHL's probably not going to do anything anytime soon, but we'll see. Crazy things happen. Are ratings up? I think so, yeah. I believe ratings have been pretty high all across the board, especially in like uh, the, the market that you don't expect, like obviously Carolina and a few other ones like that. I think St. Louis has been doing really, really well last hmm. week. So, but yeah, I think ratings have been pretty good. Well, that's cool. That's that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen that Tampa Bay have, um, they're the Vegas odds, uh, on favorite to win the Stanley cup next year. Yeah. I don't think that's surprising at all. It's kind of like, uh, okay. you know, uh, when you look at, you know, if you want to throw it back to university of Virginia, again, bounced out in the first round of you know, last year's NCAA tournament and they come back and kind of go scorch earth. I mean, they've got the personnel to do it in Tampa. I mean, you expect they're going to lose a few bodies, you know, maybe you know some of their older defensemen, um, you know, like Strawman, Dan Girardi, and those kind of guys. But I mean, they're they're going to resign Braden Point. I mean, he's due for a big pay raise, but he'll be back in the fold. Um, guy almost had 100 points this year. You know, Kucherov back, Stamkos back, uh, Hedman's back, McDonough's back. Um, you know, Sergeyev's 20, Cernak is 21. Uh, Anthony Sorelli is a guy who really came onto the scene. Um, you know, Matthew Joseph had a strong start to the year. I mean, the team's still loaded, and I'm sure they're going to be uh, quite uh, motivated going into next year to kind of you know wipe out what was obviously an embarrassing uh, couple of weeks for them against Columbus. So, uh, you know, I think with all the teams left in the hunt right now, all of the personnel to you know be right back in the thick of it next year. But I expect Tampa Bay to come out with a vengeance next year and. Um, should make for some fun hockey because I mean that team's not going away anytime soon. I mean that you know all those guys are still thirty years old, which is insane. Like they're they're not going to go away until the salary cap or something down the road eventually breaks them up because they're they're in it for the long haul. Yeah. Um, speaking of things, I'm not sure about not being in the the long haul. Uh, Ken Holland going to Edmonton after seventy three years in Detroit um, makes his way to Edmonton. I. It, it was weird. Like Edmonton's just weird. I remember having um, an Edmonton Oilers lifelong fan, and co- he covered the team. I'm blanking on his name right now, top man. So I apologize, but um, he he told me that like this, like it, he just shed some more light on like that ownership situation, like how obsessed he is with the Gretzkys and how that weird front office works, and just like right. 
he should he has all the reasons to be a good owner, but he's not a good owner. And then you have the weird Connor McDavid stuff now. And I yep. I don't know. Like uh, if you're an Edmonton fan, are you excited about Ken Holland? Like it reminds me like I was trying to think of like another sport, like what the closest parallel would be. And I think it would be like Ted Thompson getting the Oakland Raiders GM job now. Like after right. getting kind of forced out by Green Bay after a billion right. years and then being like, oh, exactly. we're, we're hiring Ted Thompson. And it's like, what? He's out before right. what? Uh, it's, well, the thing it's is, wild to me. Like, you look at like just on paper, I mean, the, what he had to work with. I mean, he's got the best player in the world. We got, you know, a guy, a 50 goal scorer on dry saddle. You know, they got a few different pieces here and there. But I mean, the situation is he's got to fix what has been a train wreck the last couple of years. And I mean, the clock's kind of ticking on what they have to do. I mean, you saw kind of at the end of last year how McDavid was kind of at his wit then. So, it's not like he's, you know, they're giving Ken Holland, you know, this big, huge window to kind of, you know, set his own course and trajectory to try to fix this team. I mean, they need to get some results soon. So, I mean, at least it's not Peter Shirelli, but I mean, like, still, it's, you know, that, that's, that's a tough situation for anyone to go into. He said with the environment, their expectations, and the fact that a guy like McDavid, who pretty even killed him, say too much of that, that he even kind of let it you know, and how frustrated he was last year, obviously. And, you know, that, that's a that's a tough kind of thing to jump right into. So, I mean, Edmonton has to right the ship in some way very soon, because if not, I mean, talk about like a squandered opportunity of what they had when they, you know, I remember how excited they were once they won that, that you know, the lottery for the McDavid draft and how they thought they were going to, you know, it was the second coming pretty much of, you know, how it was in the 80s. And it's all kind of falling apart now. So, I mean, again, it's better than Shirelli, but, I mean, that, that's a tough situation to kind of call all the positives out of. Yeah, it's just, it's one of those huge swing and miss type deals, kind of like Mike Trout in Los Angeles, where it's just not having the, your best player potentially in your sport, just never be involved in any high pressure, high, um, just like a, where you know there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on the sport. You can't, just not having him around ever, it's just, it, it, it just sucks. So I'm right. sure everybody in the league wants this to to flip, but I just I'm I'm dubious and skeptical that Ken Holland is the right answer there, and I think there are deeper problems in that culture and that situation, and um, I don't know. I, I I do not think the Ken Holland era in Edmonton ends well. Um, last thing, and then I know you got to go, and we'll wrap up here. Uh, the Red Wings, the exact opposite take. Uh, Steve Eiserman right. going to Detroit took a year off. Um, People thought it was going to happen months ago when he had that weird step down from Tampa Bay. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just spent the year with his family and then he's back. And uh, he's, we know, a very good general manager. And the Red Wings are in an interesting spot. I mean, they have questions with their goalie. They have questions with um, the youth in the roster versus the the veterans and just like how you do you do a full teardown because Ken Holland didn't do that and like what what do you do because you have a new arena and you have to sell tickets and like the, you had this long playoff streak like it's just all it's very interesting because I don't know how he would go about it but I, I, if I had to guess he's going to do a full teardown what do you what do you make of the Iserman hire yeah I kind of view it kind of the way you, you're kind of mentioning it where it's kind of a full teardown I and mean, they've got a few obviously good pieces that they can kind of retain and build around I mean Dylan Mockin's really kind of coming to his own over the last couple of years but um, you know I think pretty much what I expect you him to do is kind of sell the, the ownership on the you know the vision and what he kind of built down in Tampa Bay and his kind of track record especially when he gets the keys to the, the whole car to you know run the drafting and stuff like that I mean how many guys you know 
from rounds, you know, three through three through six have ended up being kind of home runs for the for the Lightning. Even if in the second round where you get guys like uh, Kucherov that he drafted or points or any of those guys, I mean, you know, his track record speaks for himself. So even if it's going to hurt for the next couple of years um, where you've got other teams in the division like, you know, Tampa Bay, who's still going to be on top, Bruins for a while. I mean, if you keep some of that young core, a guy like Lacken to kind of build around, add in more pieces, um, I mean, that gives you at least a better hope to come out, come out of it in a couple of years with Eisman running the show than what they had right now. And even if it hurts for the next year or the year after that, I mean, they've got the pieces, they've got some young guys in the pipeline that, you know, a few trades that Holland made that allowed them to bring in a few guys who are trying to, you know, hit that mark to get into the NHL next year. And they at least have some pieces to be excited for and adding a GM like Eiserman and, you know, what he's done down in Tampa Bay. I mean, if you're a Red Wings fan, even though, you know, it's, you know, it's not going to be an instant turnaround, um, but he, he gives you a shot to compete down the road. So I'd be pretty excited if I was a Red Wings fan. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any, like this is a home run because this franchise was in a lot of trouble and they were floating around right. mediocrity and then they fell out of it. And it's just like, Oh, that like you look at some of their cap sheet and just like, uh, I, I don't know how they fix this anytime soon. And it's just, it's weird when the Red Wings are not good and it's like, Oh, they're just not going to be good for a long time. Then you're just like, Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know. I think this is, it came out of left field, but it's one of those where it like made too much sense, but you're still, if you're a Red Wings fan, you're like, uh, I don't know. We've been burned by this so many times. And then it, uh, it actually happens. So I, I think it's, it's good. Um, so, we got to wrap up here. You got to run. Um, how does the season end for the Bruins? And what should we check out from you on bostonsportsjournal.com this week? Um, so I'm going right now for, I mean, I think the Carolina definitely takes a game here down, down in PNC arena. I mean, I, yeah, the matchups kind of don't favor them, but you know, I, I expect at least one of these games for them to take um, But I have Bruins beating uh, San Jose Shocks in Seven games, heartbreaker for Joe Thornton, which will be a bittersweet result for Boston, but I think they'll take a Stanley Cup title. But I just think the Bruins, you know, so many guys are, you know, clicking at the right time. Tuka Rass is locked in, hasn't shown any signs of slowing down. Um, I mean, Chuse Bergeron hasn't even scored a goal during five-on-five play yet this postseason, and they're playing like this. I mean, when he's bearing those chances, I mean, what's this next level the Bruins are going to have? So I just think too many things are working in their favor right now. So, I'm going with the Bruins. Um, and then, yeah, I've got a few things kind of planned for, uh, you know, we I'll be at the game tomorrow. Um, we have all preview content, uh, you, you know, analysis breakdowns afterwards, have a thing kind of uh, posting a little bit later tonight, kind of breaking down how the Bruins view matching up with Peter Mrazek over Curtis McElhaney, which is kind of a fascinating, you know, difference between how those two goals go about their business and how the Bruins kind of counteract what they provide in that. So, uh, yeah, I always have content coming up every day. So uh, follow along at uh, bostonsportschannel.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at uh, Connor Ryan underscore 93. And that's Connor with one N, which people always mess up. But yeah, follow me on there for updates, links, a tweet. You know, I have horrible jokes and make some uh, bootleg gifs. So follow along. It's Twitter. It's all in good fun. So that's where you can reach me. Well, it's good that Boston's going to finally um, have some positive sports moments in, in this century. So it, it, that's, that's I mean, good. I mean, it, it, it's rough, you know. I mean, the Celtics are out. You know, it's, what are you going to do? Red Sox, you know, thankfully just got over 500. So everything's 
you know, slowly, you know, getting back to getting back to normal here. I think we'll I think we'll overcome. I, I think so too. Connor, thank you so much. Be safe. Um, just uh, the, the man, you got to get out of the wilderness. Just a couple days, make it through. Hope that they don't make the adjustments and you have to go back for like a game six or something like there that. You go. So, um, back to the land, there you go. Back to the land of Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> a very good place. Connor, thank you so much. Talk yeah. to you soon, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Thomas. And like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.